Welcome back to another episode of Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel of The Athletic, joined, as always, by Paul Tenorio, also of The Athletic. Paul, how, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing well. Just, uh, you know, we're all pushing through right now, doing our part to flatten the curve, staying home, staying inside, and um, trying to look at the positives that we can pull out of a, of a situation that's not so positive. So, I try to look at at the good mm-hmm. things, and um, you know, I'm 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 grateful for extra time with my little one, and that's what I'm going to hold on to. And I'm and I'm happy that we can still record a podcast remotely. That makes it really easy. Yeah, no, it's uh the wonders of modern day technology, huh? Uh, buy your Zoom stock now. Be like our friendly senators from Georgia. Well, sorry, too far. Um, anyway. Getting into the topics at hand, uh, it is Thursday night as we are recording. Thursday night, April 2nd, Major League Soccer just announced um, earlier this evening uh, that they have extended their league training moratorium um, through April 24th, so three weeks from tomorrow on Friday, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, no surprise there, of course. Um, you know, we keep saying this, Paul. I keep saying it anyway in conversations. And, you know, being in New York City, uh, you know, kind of the epicenter of the world right now, uh, we're going to be here for a while. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations with people around MLS this week. I know you have too. Um, but the more I think about it, the longer it feels like it's going to take for the league to come back, if it even comes back at all uh, this year. So, uh, I do want to talk about that though, because I don't think there's been enough attention paid to it. Just kind of how the schedule might, or not even the schedule, the resumption, um, might play out. And obviously we don't know anything here. Um, but I do think it's something worth kind of highlighting. Um, and I think you agree with me there. So what do you think? And I know everyone's uncertain and we're just speculating, but what do you, th- how do you see this playing out? You know, as we get deeper and deeper into this I don't know, crisis, I guess you could call it. I am, I don't know. I feel like I'm more convinced than ever that there's not going to be a season this year. I I just find it hard to believe that any league is going to be able to safely put fans in a stadium, put players on the field, put employees in the stadium to, to have a game I just don't know how you can guarantee the safety of anyone, the players, the referees, the coaches, the stadium employees, the fans, the concession workers, the parking lot attendants, um, not just in the stadium, but commuting to the stadium for the game. It's just, you know, as these dates keep getting pushed further and further back, and as I do more reading and more watching of kind of information around um, coronavirus and COVID, uh, you know, unless something happens in the next month or two that drastically changes the trajectory of this virus. Um, and, and when I say drastically change it, I mean, you know, a vaccine or um, even right, like the, the vaccine this, is not happening it's in not the next month happen. or two. And, like, and these, this yeah, new no, testing. That's 18 or so months out. Yeah. Right. Th- this new testing, you know, maybe maybe this new testing that can happen in 15 minutes becomes something that's widespread and everyone can get a test and you can start to um, isolate and quarantine the people who have the, the, the virus and it starts to slow the flatten the curve that way. But, you know, I just think it's hard for me to envision a season starting at all. 
Um, because once you get past August, I think it, you know, at that point, it's almost like financially, especially for a league like MLS that needs the in-game revenue, I think it almost makes more sense to shut things down and, and start looking forward to, to the 2021 season. But I know that's crazy to say. It's crazy to think yeah. about, but I think it's realistic. I don't I don't know if I would go as far as to call it realistic. I think MLS would absolutely start a season in August if that's what they wanted to do. Um, they're going to find a way, you know, safety permitting, of course, um, to play games. They're not going to be worried about, oh, well, is it too late if we start in August? No, they're going to try and get as many games in as they can because the more games that they get in, the less money they lose, even if those games are in front of no no crowds, you know, because then at least you're fulfilling more of your sponsor obligations, right? You're not getting any of the revenue from ticket sales or anything like that. But if you don't play any games, then you're these jersey front sponsors, these stadium naming rights sponsors, the people that sponsor little activations in around the stadium, uh, they're going to want their money back too, or they're going to want make goods for future seasons. So the fewer games you play, the more money you lose, um, not just on the tickets and all in parking concessions, all those things that we've talked about before on the show, but also from the sponsorship side. So push MLS is going to do everything they can to get people in the stands. Uh, and they're, you know, talking to some club presidents, talking to some league folks, talking to some high ranking execs at other clubs, uh, this week, everyone's sort of saying like, you know, we're still really hopeful for 34 games. And my general response to that, which I verbalized to a couple of people that I was speaking to was, are you like, what bleeping world are you living in? Like, are you kidding me? Like 34 games? Like, how would that even work? And a few people were like, well, it'd be like Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, no leagues cup, no open cup, no campeones cup, no more champions league, like MLS only. Right. And maybe you go all the way in like through December and into like February. And then you get into a whole bunch of questions about contracts because those only run through the end of the year. Um, and then you, then how does the 2021 season start? Well, maybe you do a four week break or whatever's mandated in the CBA, four or five weeks as an off season. And then you jump right in to games for 2021. Maybe you do something as crazy, Paul, as crazy as switching the calendar and going to the European schedule fall to spring with a, with a little bit of a winter break. Maybe you, maybe you go totally insane and do that. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think MLS is going to play some games this year unless this thing totally spirals further out of control, which, you know, given the trajectory that we're on, uh, is sadly not unrealistic. Um, but I do think they're going to play games. I do think that if things do resume, MLS will be one of the last leagues to come back, right? Because you're going to see the NBA or NHL or, you know, maybe MLB, Premier League, Bundesliga, certainly, who are talking about coming back in May, which seems wild to me. You're going to see them play in front of empty stadiums. MLS will wait um, until they get to like a drop dead point, which would probably be like July or August. Um, <clears throat> not to probably should work on my phrasing there. Um, but until they get to a certain point where they can't fit in 34 anymore, they're not gonna, they're, they'll want to wait to get people in the stadium if they can. So it'll be interesting. One, one person that I was speaking to said, um, you know, maybe the all-star game would be a good day to come back. Um, I was like, how would you have an all-star team if you've only played two games? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it will just be not, a fan it's vote, not a, and it would be Atlanta yeah, well, United yeah, against or, the League MX All Stars, you know, or a co or a commissioner's pick. You could you could figure that out. 
But that wouldn't be a bad way to relaunch from like a TV perspective and an attention perspective and all of that stuff and keeping sponsors happy, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that's what we see. That's scheduled for, I think, July 27th, end of July in uh, at LAFC Bank of California Stadium. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. One of the things, one of the other things I'm thinking about, a few other things, then I'll, and I'll throw them at you. One, when the curve does flatten, right? Because eventually it'll flatten out a little, right? Uh, and say fans are cleared to go back into the stadium by government and health organizations and states and all of that stuff. Because all that stuff is going to have to happen. This isn't going to be like an MLS decision. It's going to be like a way above MLS pay grade decision. Like, would you be all that interested in going to a stadium to pack in like pretty tight alongside 20,000 of your closest friends? Because like speaking for myself, I wouldn't. No, I mean, that's that's the thing is like, I, again, I just think that it's going to be when you talk about what is going to have to happen for the government, for a state government or a city government to say publicly, yes, we feel comfortable with 20 to 40,000 people going into a stadium, sitting next to each other for two hours and then leaving and dispersing throughout our city after we finally get the, the, the curve to flatten. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see it happening, Sam. And and I, it's going to take a long time. Like you know, again, if you haven't I mean, read the article. Sorry, I just I just think like let's say let's say it starts to show some kind of change in June. The idea that that you would feel comfortable putting that many people in one place by August, I think, is ludicrous. And I yeah. think. Ultimately, the one thing that we've learned so far, if we're paying attention, is the health of the of society is paramount, and it would be irresponsible to do that. And that's just why, again, I, I mean, I'm, I, I agree with you that they would try to start a season in August. I just think once you start getting to September, October uh, of a potential restart date. I mean, even if they declare in mid-August, okay, we can come back. You need at least two or three weeks of preseason minimum. After yeah, that the long expectation I've heard from everyone is is three or four. Right. So, minimum. so you're so, you're talking yeah. about. I mean, I mean, and at that point in August, I mean, think about how long the players that would have been off. And and yeah, you, the you, longer we, you have off, the longer that preseason needs to be. Right. And you gl- you kind of glossed over this. I know you were kind of grouping a lot of things together. But we're seeing it unfold right now in Europe in regards to contracts that are up at the end of June, right? When their seasons end and the summer windows open. Players are not going to be willing to play past when their contract expires. Okay? It's too great of a financial risk for these players to sign a one- or two-month extension Mm-hmm. And potentially risk a massive payday, and that that risk is lower in MLS. Right, I'm aware injury. of that, yeah, yeah. but you can get injured, and and we see transfers that are already supposed to happen. We know players that are in MLS on a on a loan that's going to end in the summer, and I just don't see how you can talk about extending the season beyond New Year, the New Year, and I think. You know, I was talking to somebody today who was saying, like, I just don't think it's real. I think you have to end the season before Christmas. So either you you flip the calendar or you say we're going to play like a half season. You know, you're going to play 17 games. Yeah, or maybe, maybe you do like a World Cup 
like honestly, right? Where you divide everybody into groups and you do a group stage and then a knockout stage. Honestly, at that point, it comes down to, I would think if you start to get to a point when you're in August ish, you know, you, you probably talk to your TV partners about what is the most attractive, Mm -hmm. what is the most attractive broadcast. So can we, if we do a tournament, we think it could be really exciting. It could be, you know, very, an extended playoff essentially, and every game will matter. And, you know, they'd have to find a way to – it can't be just World Cup because, I mean, you're talking about some teams in a World Cup only play three games. So, so you have to figure out a way to – Yeah, I mean, the group stage that, could be more than three, right? Sure. You could so, do six. You could, I mean, 26, kind of 26 isn't really a be like easily Champions dividable League. number. Yeah. You know, it would be like Champions League. You play home and away or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, like, you know, the point is is that you you can try to get creative to, to potentially put together some kind of attractive TV product, but – I just, again, I, I don't know, man. Maybe I am in a negative mind space right now. Having, I mean, I've probably left my house six times over the last three weeks to walk around my neighborhood with my daughter. Yeah. I have asthma, so you know, I don't do any of the shopping. I like, and and I, I just feel like everything that um, everything I read makes me very skeptical of of it being safe for people. Yeah, you know? no, I, I hear you. And, and like, I, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe it won't be, right? No one knows. That's the thing. I, 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 I'm kind of assuming that at a certain point it will be. Um, one idea that somebody threw at me, like a, a pretty uh, high-ranking technical staff guy at, at one of these clubs, he was like, maybe if you come back in the fall, you do like a little tournament, like a little clausura uh, with Liga MX. And it would be what? There's 18 teams in Liga MX, right? So that'd be 44. Maybe you do a tournament there, <laughs> and that would be kind of wild, just with everything going on between the two leagues and all the rumors of a potential merger at some point. I can't even um, imagine the lawsuits that would hold that up. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe relevant would want that to happen because then it would open up. I mean, who the knows? U.S. soccer like, probably wouldn't. Peop- so, um, well, maybe, maybe not. Like, maybe it's just like if they if you brand it as a one off, right? Due to the due to the pandemic, and like we're just doing it this one time. Then, you know, I think people are going to be in a mood to make exceptions when this all ends. I'll put it like that. Um, you brought up some contract stuff, and I wanted to get into a little bit of that beyond schedule talk. Um, I reported a little bit about this in a story that I wrote yesterday on Wednesday on, on kind of just the way clubs are thinking about this from a business perspective. Um, if you missed the news, Doug McIntyre, our friend of Yahoo Sports, reported it first um, that league office employees for MLS are taking pay cuts pretty much across the board um, of varying percentages, depending on how much money they make and, and all that jazz. Um, naturally, you know, clubs are thinking about those same things. Um, and there's some legislation in both the U.S. and in Canada or government protections uh, for kind of lower paid employees in particular here in the U.S. So. Hopefully those people um, get taken care of. But even if they are kind of the higher paid folks, uh, we'll probably be taking some cuts at certain teams, um, which sort of leads to the next natural question of will players get asked to take pay cuts? We've seen that around the world. Um, you know, I think Barcelona, uh, they're all taking a 70% pay cut um, to ensure that none of the people working at the club in the front office uh, have to lose their jobs. Um, which was a very nice gesture uh, from those people. Obviously, the ownership structures are different in MLS than they are in Europe, right? Those are kind of collectives um, in a lot of cases. They're not owned by one individual in many, many cases, Not which is which is different than MLS, who mostly have one controlling owner. 
kind of calling the shots. Oftentimes that person is a billionaire. Um, so the way it works essentially, and I'm rambling a lot here, so I apologize, <laughs> but in MLS, there's no force majeure clause in player contracts. Essentially what that means is that there's no kind of remedy for an act of God, so to speak, a natural disaster, a pandemic that slows the season for the league, which is paying all of the players. They have all the contracts um, to take pay cuts from the players. Some other leagues have that. The NBA has that, for instance. Um, so for the players to have their pay docked, they would have to agree to it. However, the one big kind of 800-pound elephant or 8,000-pound elephant, <laughs> how much do elephants weigh um, in the room, <laughs> is the CBA has not been ratified. So basically how a couple of people described it to me, and this gets into murky legal territory, but you know, if, if the league really wanted to, they might be able to do something like say, well, we're not going to ratify the CBA unless we get to insert a force majeure clause. Um, and you know, then putting the MLSPA in a difficult spot and potentially opening up a legal battle and all of these messy things in which no one would come out looking all that great, in my opinion. So that's going to be really, really interesting to see if that p plays out um, to that effect at all. But um, there are just so many, there's so many different ramifications for this. It's going to touch everything. And it's going to be, um, I mean, I don't want to be callous or crass here because this is not important stuff in the grand scheme, like at all. Um, and I should have said that off the top, but, uh, yeah. I mean, are there any other things that you're kind of thinking yeah, about here, well, Paul? I mean, I think, I think for, from my end, when we talk about player contracts and the potential for players to take a hit, I think, first of all, if you're the players union and you allow, uh, a clause like a force majeure to be put into your CBA retroactively, it would be a catastrophic failure of leadership. Um, across the board. Yeah, yeah. From, from and, and like, you know, like, I would agree with that. I would also add, though, like, if ev if this gets to a point where everyone's taking pay cuts, like, every industry, right, every employee at these clubs, then maybe you see the players say, you know what, we'll help out too. We're not going to give a force majeure clause, but we'll agree to take cuts. Well, that's, right? that's so, that was my next yeah. point, is that, that that wouldn't happen, but I do think that the PR hit, if the players get to a point where Pay cuts are happening across clubs. We're already seeing them at the league level. And this this crisis is, is extending and extending and extending. And we see more leagues around the world where players are taking pay cuts the way we've seen it in international soccer. That the players would probably, I think, kind of be backed into a corner where if you don't do it, you look callous and you look like you you don't understand. I mean... Which is unfortunate, by the way, because these cuts, I just want to say this, a lot of these owners are very, 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 very wealthy individuals, and some of them are more liquid than others, and net worth does not equal cash on hand. I understand all of those things, but a lot of these people could absorb this hit if they wanted to, and every time someone takes a cut, it's them saying, hey, littler person than me, tighten your belt so I don't have to tighten mine quite as much. So that's in the background with all of this, too. Right. Yeah, and I, I think I mean I think that's worth remembering. But and and we're in a reality of of this society where that is what happens, right? The belt 100%. is tightened, over, uh, you know, by the people who can least afford to have have those types of cuts or have, um, you know, have other places where they're not getting um kind of the help that they need. And I think um, 
you know, I think that the league is I don't I don't think we're that far off from the league making that that ask from players because I think no, they understand so. they've they have known uh they've done a, they've always known kind of the way the winds are blowing and they understand PR very well and I think you know they understand that they they probably can back the players into a, a tough situation. I don't think they'll do it prematurely, but I think it'll be you know if once we get through May and we're looking at you know talking about mid June late June start of a season, I think that's when you see. I, I think that's when you could potentially see the the league make that request of players. Yeah, I think when we have a little more clarity on what a season might look like or might not look like, I think that's that's when you start to get into that territory. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, speaking of another interesting thing, and speaking of players, uh, again, I just want to reiterate this. I said it once just a few minutes ago, but this is not the most important thing here, <laughs> um, and we don't need to be crass at all. This is affecting both of our lives as it is affecting everyone's life around the world. Um, but... One of the things that's going to be impacted is the transfer market. Whenever the league does resume, if it resumes in the summer, if it resumes in the winter, the the transfer market is going to be affected. I know I've had conversations about that. Paul, anything that you've gleaned um, on that front in terms of how this might impact things in MLS from from a transfer standpoint or from a roster building standpoint? Yeah, I just want to say that allocation disorder listeners usually get a preview of a story that we're working on or a column idea that we're spitballing. So this is another example of that. This whole um, episode is kind of an example of that, to be honest. Sure. <laughs> I think, um, you know, for me, this moment of resuming play after coronavirus, and again, you know, I, I've always I, we've had this phone conversation multiple times over the last two weeks, I think, as we've talked about this idea, this yeah. story, and we've kind of held off on reporting it and writing it because of this. It's going to it's going to come off as crass because we're talking about taking advantage of of uh, global economic yeah. downturn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Major League Soccer is as prepared or more prepared than almost any league in the world to take advantage of the financial hits that other teams around the world are going to be taking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be a critical time and a critical moment decision that this league will face. And they will have two paths that they can choose. They can allow the conservative voices of this league to maintain the status quo, to not make any change, to not alter things at all. And to say, no, we just agreed to a new CBA. We have all these built-in areas to make leaps if we see our revenue go up. We all just took this big financial hit. We're not going to change anything. Let's just forge on and we'll grow at the rate that we've that we've long agreed is the yeah, right rate of growth. Stick to the plan. Yeah. Or they can look at a situation where the market is going to be flooded with teams looking to sell to bring in revenue yeah. because and they're collapsing. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, yeah. a lot of these a lot yeah. of these teams are not owned by billionaires. They're owned by conglomerates of fans. They're owned by small town businessmen. They're owned by people who are going to be um, financially uh, insolvent, stretched. I mean, to the point where yeah. they're going to Some of these clubs revenue. are going to fold. Yeah, Some of these clubs fold. are going to and, fold. And FIFA is going to try to fix that, but there's only so much you can do. And I think they're yeah. gonna, there's, a, there's one way to inject revenue into a club very quickly. 
and that's to sell players. And I think there are going to be a lot of teams looking to add that revenue, and there are not going to be as many teams looking to buy. And the as a result, the prices of these players is going to drop. And the teams that are capable of taking advantage of the market are going to have the chance to do that. And we're going to see the prices of MLS players teams fall. are in that group. Yeah, we're going to see the prices of players fall in leagues like Argentina, Brazil, um, name Spain, a South American Italy, country, Spain, Italy, France, Germany, even Germany, in the bottom, France, bottom half. Basically yeah, everywhere the besides half. the Premier League, pretty sure. much. Or the, and, yeah. and of course, the cer- there are certain clubs who are, who are more successful and have reserves and are going to be okay. Um, we can Barcelona kind of leave those out of the are equation. Be fine. But, but this, is, this is a moment where MLS can make a decision and say, look, we are going to change some rules in order to take advantage. And the thing that, that's been happening with MLS is for a long time, they've maintained their steady, slow rate of growth. And it's been phenomenally successful for this league. And recently, what's happened is that growth and I do think the league has made progress in terms of the way they've been spending and you know how how good the top part of the roster has been getting. The problem is it's not kept pace with the rest of the world because in the late 90s, right. early 2000s, the global market in soccer opened up. And so you see MLS fell behind, way behind. Even and, even over the last five years, as MLS is up the spending, everyone's up the spending. Sure, and MLS hasn't upped it as much as other places have. And so you have this moment now where the league can catch up, not all the way, but make significant progress to pull themselves closer to some of the top European leagues, to pull themselves even and on par with League MX for sure, and per- potentially surpass it depending on how far they want to go. And to do that in a short time frame, simply by being a little bit more aggressive. And when I say a little bit more aggressive, I mean that. I mean, if you're talking about injecting four or five more million dollars into the salary cap per team, or you're talking about adding two or three young DP slots, in addition to the young money slots, I'm talking about young DPs. Yeah, where you're or not maybe, maybe a regular DP or, or a two. regular DP slot. That type of alteration at this moment could be transformative. And I don't know which way the league is going to go. I was talking with somebody about this today. You know, their belief was that the conservative voices have always won in these discussions and that after the CBA, they're as convinced as ever that those conservative voices will continue to win. So I just think it's, um, it is a critical moment for the league. And there's another area we'll get to in a little bit where I think it's a second critical moment in the league's path forward and in its identity that's going to come out of this coronavirus. But this to me is the most important one because if the league just makes these couple changes and says, we are going to release some more funds, we're going to be more aggressive. We're going to go and take advantage of this market. Then we're going to see a a significant jump. And Sam, just to, to continue this thought, you know, it ties into something, another story I'm working on right now about, um, the difference in level of play between 1996 MLS, 96, 97, 98, those early MLS 1.0 days, and now. And when we talk about the, that early portion of the league, there were some really bad teams, and they, they weren't top to bottom good at all. We understand that. But there were players in this league that um, were quality players. Marco Echeverri, Carlos Valderrama, who were coming to this league. We saw it 
um, you know, 98 with the fire. They went to Eastern Europe and they got guys like Koseki with really strong resumes. But, you know, especially the Echeverria Valderamas, they were in their prime, um, really strong players. And they, they came along a couple years before the global market switched over. If MLS launches in 99 or 2000, those players never end up in MLS, right? They they go to Europe. and Right. And maybe Valderrama comes because he was towards the end a little bit when he arrived. Sure. But, I mean, yeah. I think Echeverry yeah. was 27 when he signed. And, and I mean, he almost went to Real Madrid and had an ACL. And, you know, there, there are all these reasons. But I think what ended up happening in those early days is every team had one to two pretty high quality players. And, and part of that was just because the global market hadn't evolved. Um, and, and MLS has never really caught up since then. And I, I just think here we are. Um, with another moment to say we can be we can own this side this hemisphere we can we can be yeah. the launching point they and can accelerate the timeline right they can accelerate the timeline to get to where they want to get yeah and so a couple of things that i wanted to say kind of during like sort of in response to what you were saying um particularly about the conservative owners and and those guys consistently winning out when it comes to these sorts of discussions one thing that i would add here is that all of these people made their money Unless they inherited it, right? The people that made their money uh, did it by seizing opportunities, right? And you don't become a billionaire without taking some risks, right? But you have to hit on your risks and you have to know when the right time is to take the risks. And you have to get a little bit lucky too, um, but you have to take advantage of the opportunities. And as crass as it sounds, this is an opportunity for MLS. You know, I had one person tell me that the strength of this league has always been the financial strength of its owners and the stability. Um, that comes with that. And it's 100% correct. And if they want to, they can go out and change kind of the face of the league. That would require changing the roster rules. It would require a change in attitude, for sure. But this is the time when they have a distinct sort of comparative advantage um, compared to the rest of the world. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see if they want to take advantage of it or if they want to kind of sit um, and and kind of stick with the status quo, which... You know, to be fair, like these people are probably going to take a beating in their other businesses in a lot of cases, right? They're probably going to take a beating a lot of them in the stock market. So they'll, they're going to be most likely losing money through this whole process, just like many millions, billions of other people around the world, right? So it's not unreasonable for them to want to not spend money whenever we come out on the other side, but it is an opportunity and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do because this is a critical time for MLS. Um, a few other things that this is going to touch, Paul. One is is kind of the TV deal. Uh, that expires at the end of 2022. And if we're getting to a point where this is going to be a worldwide recession or even depression, um, well, the media companies are going to feel that. And maybe that white knight that was maybe the league was counting on to ride in um, with a big time streaming deal or mega millions for a, for a TV package, maybe that doesn't exist anymore. So that's going to be really interesting, too. Um, to see how it shakes out over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, when you talk about that TV deal, I mean, I think that factors into the last point too. I mean, you you have uh-huh. these moments to try to capitalize and say, okay, you're going to be a little bit more discerning as a media company with where those dollars are going. Well, guess what? We're taking a leap. We need forward. to up our game then. We're taking a leap forward in the types of players we're signing, the amount of money we're spending the level of play on our fields. And, you know, I'm going to skip to to the other point I wanted to make here because I think it's connected. If this league comes back to play this year in a shortened timeline, yeah. 
it is going to stretch every roster in Major League Soccer. Right, um, if you're going Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. You're going to have to use all 30 players. You know, you're, you're going to have to. And it'll be an interesting dynamic. I think, you know, there are certain teams like uh, a Miami, for example, or let's we'll start with LAFC, young and deep. Uh, they're going to, they're probably going to thrive. Miami, an expansion team. Is LAFC team, that deep? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I'm not saying like one through 30 deep, but I think their, their 18 is fairly young and fairly talented especially when you look at the guys that they brought in at the end of last season and early in this season the, the two young south americans sure. they brought in they're they're younger right their lineup is younger yeah, um, they yeah, don't yeah. really rely That's on fair. older players yeah. it's not a toronto situation right like i think toronto you know michael bradley josie altador omar gonzalez those guys having to play you know Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday over three months is going to be tougher, right? Than it will be for Carlos yeah. Vela to do that or Latif. On the other, on Mark the other side of the Nikkei. coin, teams like Toronto have academies, right? Well, that's the that's the key point for me, right? So, and, and I, I want to make a point here, and that you know, a team like Miami has built up its supplemental roster to be veteran guys that might benefit them a little bit more, guys who have a little bit more experience in the league. But when you start to look around the rest of the league, teams that have had the chance to build an academy and have taken advantage of it, we're going to see some young players on the field out of necessity. So when you're talking about Dallas, Philadelphia, Chicago, which all of a sudden has the second most, I think, number of academy players on its roster. Albeit some <laughs> we, of need, them, we don't need to talk about that now. We don't need to talk about that now, but at some old. point, you got to explain that to me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, Because <laughs> right? I feel like none of these kids are even close to ready to play. <laughs> but I think, I mean, we don't know, are, right? I, don't know. I mean, one or two of them, I yeah. think, did well in preseason, well enough to be signed. Some of the other ones are, are certainly sure. more developmental. It's also, it also feels like maybe this is an element of the fire staff, their coaching and sporting staff, having zero time to sign players and needing to fill out a roster, but... Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think there's also, you know, before, without breaking into that tangent, I think we're, we're, we've seen an influx of foreign technical directors and general managers who are saying we are coming from places where development is part of the job, where you bring players in young, you give them opportunities. If they do well, you sell them. And there is going to be this moment. If the league comes back this year on a on a uh, reduced schedule yeah. or on a, like a that's a, that's, condensed that's schedule, the crucial part of this discussion. right this is yeah. this is critical part of it if they're back this year on a condensed schedule you know what are those kids going to do with those opportunities and if even in my opinion if even 20% you know what scratch that if four or five players who are 16 17 18 19 become top players and i mean paxton pomey call level but above that you know if they are able to perform and in a 15 game stretch get something like five goals and four assists something to the point where you're looking at them and saying okay at 16 17 you're doing that this is what you're projected now at 19 it could be transformative for this league in the sense that owners and general managers and coaches suddenly will be injected with the belief that these kids can perform if you give them the chance. And, you know, I spoke to one coach for this this story that at some point I'll write, um, who said there's a difference between giving them an opportunity and them taking that opportunity, right? You can put them on the field. If they're not good enough, it doesn't really matter. But you would think 
and you would hope that percentage-wise, there's going to be some people who stand out, and there are going to be some people who surprise. And I think that it could okay. change the way we think about youth development, and it could be the, the type of thing that, that kind of turns over the way the Bundesliga did, where all of a sudden they became a league that were that had faith in playing those young players. And the second part of that is then the willingness to sell, right, after that. But I think if we see all of a sudden these young Americans stepping on the field and getting legitimate minutes and performing well, that could be massive, massive yeah. for the growth of the league. Yeah, the other side of that is what we talked about earlier, which it's not going to be a huge there aren't going to be a huge number of teams looking to buy, at least for big money, for probably a while. So but Sam, that's, that's good. part of this discussion, too. That's good, right? I mean, we've talked about this before, the frustration of MLS teams wanting ridiculous numbers for players who have done nothing. And yeah, not no, recognizing the, the, they need to be willing to take less market's money. market's going to be a little more defined, yeah. And, and maybe this says to them, you know what, this is what we have to take right now. And this is the way the market looks, and we'll yeah. take the we'll take the sell-on. We'll sell these players. We'll inject that cash back in. We're getting ninety percent of it now, ninety-five percent of it now. Right. And, and wash our hands. Move this on. is part yeah. of it. And you know, I but I think they're going to have to be forced into that. And this could be the thing that yeah, forces them. That's into fair. It. You know, you you mentioned you know maybe some kid comes in and does five goals and four assists in fifteen games. Even if a kid comes in and doesn't produce or doesn't play that great, but gets valuable experience, you know, I keep seeing like basically some variation of of this joke on Twitter of like, you know, we're going to be squeezing five years of marriage into one in this quarantine, right? Well, maybe maybe after the quarantine ends and MLS resumes, maybe you're squeezing three years of youth development into one fall, you know. Um, and even if a player doesn't come out and go gangbusters, maybe they're really, really far ahead of where they would have been otherwise, because the teams aren't really going to have a choice. They're going to have to play these kids. People are going to have more opportunities than they would have had otherwise. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing. I think it'll probably hurt the product in the short run for MLS, right? In the here and now, but in the long run, I think, I think there are a bunch of potential positive side effects. So that's going to be really interesting. I mean, I mean there's Sam, just so many. There's so many different things. Let's let's just take a second. And I think when you look when you listen to people like that have been kind of banging this drum for a long time, like like Matt like Matt Doyle always says, like give the you know play your kids right, and mm-hmm. and you point to a team like FC Dallas, and you say, would Servania play at DC United or? Chicago Fire last year or Minnesota United or LA Galaxy? No. No, he wouldn't have. But he was at a team where they have a, a, a part of their identity to play young players. And a guy like Servania comes out of nowhere to to show himself to be a legitimate pro who would go on to play in a U-20 World Cup, get called into a January camp, and put himself on a trajectory that nobody would have had him on a year ago, year and a half ago. Right. And that comes out of opportunity. Now, for every Servania, there is a, you know, a Michael Seaton. Or, you know, you point to all the different homegrowns who have come up through the system. It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. A small percentage making. You're never going to find the Servania if you're not putting the number of players you need to put on the field to find them. And you're going to be surprised. I think that's proven around the world that there are going to be players that seize those moments, that seize those opportunities, and you have to give them the opp- the chance to do that. And and I think that at a time when MLS is so focused on inc- 
growing the product on the field and improving the product on the field, that's been sacrificed, right? They can't really afford those short-term hits at a time when other teams are 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 push trying to push the league forward in quality of play and the money they're spending internationally. Um, but here you have a moment, uh, this 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 point where those two things have to co- coexist simply because you can't ask 18 players to play 30 games in three months. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so right. now it's, it's like a lot you, of, you lot, of no choice. lot of tight hammies. Stick, yeah, stick the no, guy in sure. there. Stick the kid in there. Like you're saying, like you know, maybe this, maybe these kids at, at Chicago Fire aren't ready. You know, maybe, maybe the college, the kids who played in college are going to be okay. Pineda started the first two games. You, you kind of know what you're going to get at, and maybe those are just the guys that emerge. But maybe like this kid Gutierrez, I think you know, he's 16 years old. Just maybe you stick him in a game, and all of a sudden the guy stands out. You don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that could be. That could be the type of story we're seeing. And again, I wouldn't expect it to be six guys or eight guys or ten guys. But if it's three guys or four guys, I think it starts to change the way people think about it. And even if you just change four more teams' minds in MLS and you pair that with That's the really significant and Dallas and Philadelphia, who are already, you know, working this way, now you're starting to change kind of the way a, a larger percentage of the of the league operates and that's important yep for sure um well i i just want to say one other thing here uh the way that you say this guy and this kid it cracks me up every time this kid good years this guy this guy pineda <laughs> every time it gets me why does um, it get you sam you know why wh- why yeah you i know. don't i don't know i just like it i just like it <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> it, i thought it's because it's the influence that that's led me down this path I mean, I wasn't going to put you on blast like that, but... All right, we'll leave it. Go we'll ahead it if you be. want. No, you no, can no, do it we'll yourself. It no, no, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Paul, you have anything else you need to get off your chest tonight? No, I don't think so, man. I, th- I just think what I hope people get out of this episode of this podcast is um, a couple of things. The first is just how fluid the situation really is and also how much rides on it. And I think... You know, you talked about it early in your, or maybe we were talking about this when we were preparing for the show, but just how many different things, how many moving parts there are right now for teams and trying to figure out how you put together your rosters to prepare, how you put together your full squad, your club, all these different things. I mean, so much is happening at once, but it's going to be just, if this season gets played out in any form, I think it is going to be. It, there are going to be these huge, huge moments and decisions that the league is going to make that are, are really, you know, going to change the trajectory potentially of MLS. Yeah, we, affect, we've talked about the it. long-term future. Yeah, we've talked about it before, right? Before all this happened, Sam, we had our little, at least I had my little go-to line of, you know, the most, the three things that are going to change, you know, what we, how we talk about MLS are the CBA, the TV deal, and um, the World Cup. And the CBA was the least important. The TV deal was the most. Then the next CBA is going to happen before the World Cup and then the World Cup. So those are these these key moments. And all of a sudden, we have a new one here, who, which I think could potentially be could, – could create a domino effect that impacts both the TV deal and and the World Cup. So um, it, it's, it's going to be a very, very interesting next few months, not just in kind of the day-to-day that we talk about all the time but in the big picture stuff. 
Absolutely. I think that's, that's pretty well said. And Paul, I think I can speak for you when I say, you know, all of this is interesting and potentially exciting, but it is far from important in the grand scheme of things. What is important is everyone's health. Um, so please do your part, do your best to stay, stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands, do social distancing. It's important and it matters. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully this little 45 minute respite helped you out with the mental health side of things. I know it helped me. Um, always good to talk a little bit of soccer, even if none is going on. So, uh, Paul, thanks, man. It was fun. Thanks so much, Sam. And remember guys, I'm going to reiterate what Sam said, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Stay inside as much as you can. Stay safe. Until next time, this has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening.